Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Father, would you open the word to us, our hearts to the word. We love you. And we want to hear your word and obey it so that we will be blessed and our lives will flourish. So come, O God, and open our ears, our eyes to see the things of God. Grace me to speak your word and not my own. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. I'm going to start by reading you uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 13, and then we will go back and look at it. All right. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement And great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, basically, they're drunk. They are full of sweet wine. So this is what Jesus meant when he spoke of the promise of the Father. Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 4, he said, um, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Father, which I've talked to you about, is coming. Wait for it. All right, well, this is the arrival. Here it is. This is the promise of the Father. Wow, what an amazing event. But frankly, it's so amazing that if I don't understand what's happening to these people, I can easily end up in the same condition as the watching multitude. Amazed and bewildered, which is to say, confused and frightened. Luke's description of that Pentecost morning raises a lot of questions. Questions which I need answered if I'm to step forward and seek this baptism of the Holy Spirit for myself. So here's what we'll do today. First, we'll examine the passage carefully to see what really took place. Then we'll identify which promise was being fulfilled. Then we'll ask the practical question of what does God do to a person when they receive this gift. Then let's be very personal and ask, what can I expect will happen to me if I receive it? And finally, let's ask that nagging question that tends to linger in the back of our minds, Can I really expect that God would give that same gift to me? Now, I got to give you a warning right here. You're going to hear this story differently. When I went into, when I, when I look at the Greek, and the story's different than it's generally translated. It really surprised me. I am not importing my own thoughts. I'm going to give you a very literal rendering. But when you do that, when you, when you render what's there and let Luke tell his story, it's a different story than we've heard generally. You'll see. Verse 1. Ten days earlier, the Lord had commanded his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they received the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. He told them that when this gift came, they would be baptized into the Holy Spirit like John had baptized people into water. Over the course of these 10 days, they had been meeting continually to prepare, prayerfully prepare themselves and wait. Now, Luke 
describes in beautiful detail the moment when that gift arrived. He tells us that after the seven weeks, which lead up to the Feast of Pentecost, Shavuot, were completed, and the 50th day had arrived, the disciples were all gathered together on that day. That's, that's the way he says it. When the days were fulfilled, meaning, and that's what you would do with this, the days leading up to Pentecost, is it, you count the Omer every day. You count the days. So all these 50 days, they've been counting days. He says, when those days are fulfilled, and it, they met all together on it, on that day of Pentecost. So you've got a, a whole gathering now. Verse 2, hang on to your hat. Then he says, and this is what he says, And suddenly out of heaven there came a sound, as if being carried along, on a strong gust of wind. And that sound filled the whole house where they were sitting. Luke pictures the disciples gathered in the upper room sometime during the earlier part of the morning. This moment could not have taken place in the temple because the temple gates were not opened until nine for the morning sacrifice. Since he tells us that all were gathered on that special day, we may assume that at least the 120 he mentioned earlier were present. Most were sitting at the time. Usually when this verse is translated, it's interpreted to mean that they suddenly heard the sound of a great windstorm. But Luke chooses his words here very carefully. He's trying to describe for us a re very remarkable spiritual experience. Here's what seems to have taken place. As they were sitting in the upper room during a time of morning prayer and praise, all of, the, all of them suddenly heard a sound that seemed to be coming from heaven. And it grew louder until it reached them. And when it did, they felt its impact like a strong gust of wind. And then this heavenly sound surrounded them, filling the whole room. I told you it was different than you'd heard it. I've always been taught, and when you read the text, it's the way they translate it generally. It, it sounds like they're sitting in a room, and then suddenly it's, you know, all the, the windows are rattling, and you've got like a hurricane outside. You know, and I go, whoa, what's that? And then here comes the fire, flames of fire, and I, I thought, okay, that's the way it is. I don't know why we have a windstorm like that. It's cool, whatever it is. Um, but I didn't understand it. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you what it says. And I don't know why we didn't, it says they heard a sound. And the word that's used there, the word for sound is, we get our word echo from. So it's, I want you to that, note that because we're going to look at another word here in a little bit. So they heard a sound, and it means that, just a sound. It could be music, it could be voices, it could be, who knows. It, but it says they heard a sound. And then it says, and the sound was being carried along on a strong Breath of air. That's what it is. Pnoi, the word absolutely means, when, 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 at, when God breathed into Adam's nostrils, that word, pnoi, and Adam went and came alive. It doesn't talk about hurricanes. It's, and it literally says, the word is, you recognize the word ferry, a ferry goes and carries somebody across a river or something. That word pharaoh, it means to carry, to bear something. And it says there specifically that this sound was being carried on a strong gust of air. And then it says, and when it came, it surrounded them and filled the house. When I saw that, I began to weep because I recognized I've actually seen something like that. Many years ago, Mary and I were... Uh, at a Billy Graham crusade at the Hollywood Bowl. Um, I was a youth minister in a church in Pasadena and going to seminary, and, and Billy Graham came, and we went. And the Hollywood Bowl is an outdoor uh, meeting place. They can do that there. And uh, <laughs> they have a, it's this cone-like thing, um, which is acoustically designed, and, and then 
the, the seats sweep up the hillside. It's kind of a long, slow sweeping hill. And the, the seats just sweep back from it in a, in a big curve. And we don't get anywhere real early. So we, we're up two-thirds, three-quarters at least up this stadium, or this, this whole seating arrangement. And uh, I was excited to hear Billy Graham. I thought, man, what is, you know, this guy's got to be absolutely fabulous. And I'd heard him a lot you know, growing up as a child on TV and everything, of course. And, but I'd never heard him in person before. So I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to his sermon. And, and I'll just be honest with you. I'm, I'm thinking, well, Billy, I hope you're not disappointed. But today, this wasn't your day. You didn't really ring the bell. It's not a bad sermon. It's okay. I mean, but... Come on, Billy, it's not going to happen today, I don't think. And uh, so it was fine. It was just a sermon. And, uh, and, and I really thought he's going to be disappointed. And I don't think many people will probably respond today. And, um, and then he gives his altar call. You know, the one that if you've come in a bus, they'll wait, you know, et cetera. And, and, and he gave the whole altar call and and uh, then somebody began to sing, just as I am without one plea. And I'm watching to see, will anybody go? And, and it was interesting, as I, I saw it start right down, right in front of the stage. And it was like a rustling. Have any of you seen uh, wind go through wheat? fields, you know, in Kansas or something, you could just watch the wheat kind of wave like that. Well, you could see this thing, and it was like people began to kind of move down, and, 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 and you could see something just stirring like that, and people uh, began to go into the aisles all the way through. But the thing, I'm, God is my witness, my wife is my witness. She was there, she, she'll t- tell you the same thing. You could watch this move just slowly advance in a line. So help me. It's almost row by row in a line right up this Hollywood Bowl. You could watch it come from down at the stage, moving through people, and, and where it would go over, and they begin to go down, bow down, and they would begin to pour into the aisles, and you begin to watch this happening. And I, and I, I saw this thing coming, and, and it's a wide way it was coming up, and then it starts getting close, and I'm thinking, uh-oh. <laughs> Something's coming. You know, you, you could just literally, you knew it was coming over. Here we go. You're kind of like raced for this thing. And, and it came. And when it came, I'm telling you the truth, there was a, a wind, a warm wind. And as it went over us, I wanted to go down and get saved. <laughs> I'm telling you that your heart began to be just rent. I mean, the sweetness of the Lord. I watched people around. We, people began to pour out of the aisles. It, was, it moved. The thing moved in the line. And it went over us in this warm wind and went right on up past us. That's what happened. Only in their case, it was a beautiful sound of some sort. They heard the sound, and when it hit them, it hit them like a warm wind over them. Then the sound filled the house. And what next? We have no way of knowing what they heard. Whether it was music or singing, it, it was not a noisy windstorm that they heard. That is not true at all. The sound was carried on a strong gust of wind. Whether it was music or singing or angelic praise or the voice of God himself. I give you references where those kinds of things are heard by others. But they physically felt it come over them like a wind. And when they, then they were enveloped by it. Verse 3. Next, they saw a bright light. Like flames of fire dividing into portions and moving until a fiery light hovered over each one. He says, it sat on each one. Luke says, and there appeared to them tongues of fire, dividing themselves, and a portion rested upon each one of them. Actually, he says, tongues like as fire. He does not say tongues of fire. There's a way to say that. He didn't say that. He uses a, a, a word that means like it. It wasn't fire, but it was like fire. 
there would have been no mistaking the message. The Holy Spirit had come to dwell there. To Jewish believers, no symbol would have been more familiar than the pillar of cloud and fire which led Israel through the wilderness and rested over the tabernacle. The pillar of fire was God's powerful presence manifested in such a way that all could see it. So when tongues like fire were distributed over each head, that made a clear statement that this human body was now a tabernacle in which the spirit of God dwelled. The pillar of fire no longer hovered over a tent or a temple, but over the disciples of Jesus Christ. Let me stop there. Think of this. Every, every Jewish man or woman in that place was raised with these stories. They're totally uh, alive to them. When Israel passed through the wilderness, they were led by the pillar of fire, and the pillar of, of, of cloud by day and fire by night, correct? What, what was that fire? It was the Shekinah glory of God, correct. Where did that pillar rest during when they were stopped? It rested over the tabernacle, correct. Indicating that God dwelt here. Do you recall one of the beautiful pictures that's also there? there apparently Moses had put a little tent outside the camp where he could go pray. And call it the tent of meeting. So is the tabernacle called the tent of meeting. But he had a small one. This is his own tent out there. And it says that he would go out to pray. Do you remember what would happen? That great pillar would do what? It would go over and it would go right over that little tent. And God would meet with him there. Isn't that amazing? So now, here comes the pillar of fire into the room. And what does it do? It divides itself. It's exactly the word, cleaves itself. It divided. And a portion of this light went, sat on them. I assume that to mean hovered over their head. Maybe it was even more, more, more enveloping. I don't know. But it came over each one of them, this light, this Shekinah. What does it say? This is now my dwelling place. This is now my tabernacle. So you see it? This was a strong, clear, very biblical Jewish statement. God has come to abide here. When Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit... John saw the Spirit come and rest on him, how? As a dove. Now in the upper room, the Spirit appeared as a fiery light resting over each head. Verse 4. And they began and continued on, speaking in other languages, as the Spirit gave them to speak out. Uh, the word Luke uses, Luke, Luke's a Greek speaker. He's raised in, uh, in he, he's, a, he's a native Greek speaker. He's a physician. He's well-educated. He uses the language, he, he uses Greek like nobody. And, and he draws on old Greek. He, I mean, the man spoke the language. It's his language, and he's, and he's very precise in it. He uses a word which is only used for divine utterance, for, for things God says to give, when you declare. It's used a number of times in Acts, but it's always when some, someone's speaking the word of the Lord. Not just speech. There's another word for that. Verse 5 and 6, and there were Jews dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men. The word means those who fear God and are careful to obey his word. From every nation under heaven, and when this voice, ah, sound of many voices, now it says, and you'll, you'll probably have it translated, they heard a sound, or when they heard this noise. Different word altogether. I said the word up, up, they sat in the upper room and heard a sound, and it was the word from echo. Here is a, very, is a totally different word. They heard a phone, a voice. They didn't hear noise. They heard a voice. Oh. The sound of many voices, I would propose. The multitude came together, and they were confused because each one of them, the entire heard the entire group of disciples speaking in his own dialect. Luke loses the word dialect. Verse 7. And they were shocked. Literally, when I say, when I say shocked, 
The word he uses means to stand beside yourself. You're, you're, out, you're, you're, out, you're so scared, you're like watching yourself do something. Yeah, it's a word. They were beside themselves and full of wondering curiosity, saying, Behold, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans from northern Israel? Verse 8 and 9. Then why do we hear them each one in our own language in which we were born? Please notice Luke's wording. There is a, another miracle taking place beside the speaking in tongues. It is a miracle of hearing. Thousands of Jews were present from all the surrounding regions, people who had undoubtedly learned to speak several different languages in order to function in their multicultural world, Greek, Latin, Hebrew. But Luke specifically says that each person, regardless of where they had been born, was hearing the whole group of disciples speaking in one language which he or she personally understood because it was the language in which he or she had been raised as a child. So God was miraculously causing everyone in the multitude to understand what was being said. Did you follow? Not only is this group of 120 or whatever speaking in other languages, what, but the multi, so, so what happens, this is, Pentecost morning, Pentecost is one of the three great gatherings, everybody's to come, and people have from all over the world, there are many, many pilgrims, as it were, there in town, and they're moving toward the temple. Temple gates open at nine in the morning. You, have the, you start with the, the morning sacrifice. This is the day you bring your, off, your, your offering to the Lord and all of that, so people are moving. I don't know where this house, this upper room is located, but it's somewhere in the zone, and they're noisy. I mean, 120 Pentecostals, come on. And, and, and they're just going in this, this beautiful praise to God. And a crowd gathers. And hey, listen, here's what it says. Every person in the crowd heard the entire 120 speaking not simply in a language they understood, but in the language to which they were born. You know, there's a wonderful joke. It says, what will be the language of heaven? And, and people have different opinions. But the answer is English, because Americans can only speak one language. <laughs> but everybody else in the world speaks multiple languages. If you go anywhere, children will come up, and they'll go off in three or four languages just like that. I, you know, where'd you learn that, child? Uh, it's, they all have to function. This whole crowd spoke multiple languages. They would speak Greek. That's the business of commerce. I mean, the, the language of commerce. You do your business in Greek. It's, uh, they would speak Latin. That's the, the governmental language of their conquerors. If, the Jews would all have been raised bar mitzvah. They know some Hebrew. So, but they have a home language. And they're from North Africa and Arabia and, and, and up in Turkey. They, they're from all of these places. And so they're hearing it in their home language, in the one they grew up in, their mom, mom taught them. And they're hearing what? They're hearing them declare the mighty works of God. This is not, look at this, this is not evangelism. That is so silly. In just a few minutes, somewhere after nine o'clock, Peter will stand up, address the entire thousands of people in one language. Probably Greek. He will speak to them all and he will evangelize them right then and there. This is not evangelism. We might call it pre-evangelism. God is, God is showing a miracle. It's a sign and a wonder. It's caused them to go, oh, and they're frightened. And they're going, what's going on here? So you got their attention. Verse 9 through 11. To show us the extent of this miracle... Luke lists some of the distant places from which people in that multitude had come. There were Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, think Iran, Mesopotamians, Iraq, Judeans, Israel, Cappadocians, that's central Turkey, eastern part, a very remote part of, of Turkey with mountains on, all th on three sides, Asia, that's western Turkey, Phrygia, central Turkey, western part, Pamphylia, southern Turkey, Egypt, Libya, 
and as far along the northern African coast as the city of Cyrene. Do you know anybody in the Bible from Cyrene? Who? Simon and he's got a brother or son. It was a son, Rufus. We also met, met in, in the book of, of Romans. There are Cyrenians there, and they're listening to this. Um, there were visitors from Rome, both Jews and Gentile converts to Judaism. People from the island of Crete to the west and Arabia to the east. Yet all understood what the disciples were saying because each person heard them speaking in his or her native tongue. And what they heard them saying was praise to God. They were declaring the great things God had done. It possibly sounded like Mary or Zacharias. Let's just sample that for a minute. Go with me to Luke 1. just want you to hear a little bit of what I think when they heard these people speaking now. This is the kind of thing they listened to. Here's, I'm going to take the Magnificat. I've got, just on the next page, you've got Zacharias and his great blessing. I could, either one of these, you'll see the sort of thing it is. Verse 46 of Luke 1. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She's prophesying, you see it? It's pouring out of her. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He's done mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He's exalted those who were humbled. He's filled the hungry with good things and set away the rich empty-handed. By the way, this is Jesus' mother. Keep that in mind. The woman knows the word. This is who taught him. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. He is, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. That kind of thing. A hundred plus people are declaring that in other languages. The Spirit gives them utterance. Verse 12 and 13. And they were all frightened and confused, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and said they are filled with sweet wine. Doesn't that, isn't that a sermon in itself right there? What do you do when you see God do something? Is it funny? Do you laugh at it? Well, when you see God really moving on somebody, does it wake you up and you say, what's What's happening here? Do you begin to ask the question, God, what are you doing? You can, you can see people separating themselves right there as they respond to this miracle. Now the sermon. That was your Bible study. All right. What promise? What promise is this? Jesus told the disciples that they would, that they would receive what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. I've been talking about this. We've just seen him Pardon me, we've just seen them receive it. But which promise is this? It's the one he specifically mentioned in the Gospels. It's the new covenant, which Jeremiah and Ezekiel spoke about. First, listen to Jesus. Would you read that out loud with me? And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. What covenant? That's a specific covenant. That's not some sort of generic term he's tossing out. He, in the night in which he was betrayed, we're taking Passover, we're about, we're about to go out across the Kidron Valley. He takes the cup, the cup of redemption. It's the third cup of the meal. He takes the third cup and he holds it up and he says, this cup will bring you the new covenant through my blood. What I'm about to do my blood is the pouring out of my life, violently shedding my life for you. What I'm about to do will bring you the promised new covenant of which I have been telling you and talking to you about. They knew this. Now, now listen to Barnabas explain this new covenant in his letter to the Hebrews. Thank you for laughing. Hebrews 8. I feel very strongly he wrote this. 
And so I just unhesitantly tell you the truth. Here we are. <laughs> Verse 6. But now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant. See it? It's a new one coming, which has been enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant, the one at Sinai, when everyone was splashed with blood, swore to keep the law, and if they didn't, that God should destroy them, and then within days violated it flagrantly. For if that first covenant had been faultless, if it had worked, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, behold, days are coming, says the Lord. This, he's now quoting from Jeremiah 31. This is the new covenant being spoken. Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant. There it is. With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, the one in, at Mount Sinai. For they did not continue in my covenant. I think they made a few days and then failed. And I did not care for them. I lifted my hand and let them die in the wilderness. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, when Messiah comes, when Messiah comes, says the Lord, I will put my laws where? Into their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I'm going to come and do a work inside people. I'm going to change their insides, the way they think, the way they desire their heart. I will come and change the very heart of people. And I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's a covenant formula. I will, I will be theirs and they will be mine and I will bless them. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying, know the Lord for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. Why? I will dwell inside of them. There will be no just discovering, a, I will be within my people from the least to the greatest. Remember when Jesus said, there's none greater than John the Baptist. But he says, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. In other words, what's coming ahead brings a new relationship to God, which is beyond anything, any of the great prophets, any of the great, uh, any of the great men and women of the Bible, any of them ever had. They had the Holy Spirit with them. But the new covenant will put the Holy Spirit where? In them. And I'm going to show you in a minute. It could not have happened until Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and ascended. It, there, not, it could not be. And I'll show you why. Because Paul tells us. Then he says, just says, I'll read the last verse. For I will be merciful to their iniquities. And I will remember their sin no more. It will be dealt with. And therefore I will come inside them. Ezekiel describes this same miracle this way. Quote, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Stop there. First, that's talking about redemption. When a man or woman truly repents, meaning you, 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 you willfully give up your independence from God, your rebellion to God, and your Decision to live for your own glory and comfort. When you sell out and surrender, say, God, I'm yours. That's repentance. And when you trust Jesus Christ as God's sacrifice for you. You, you can't just go there with this generic, I believe he died for the sins of the world. He died, you must trust him to die for your sins. He is your righteousness. You understand? When a man or woman does that, they become completely righteous by faith. Your spirit, that's you, the person I'm talking to. If your body were, you were to die right now, your body will fall off. And I'm going to tell you, be ready for this. You will be alert and awake. And you'll, you're, you're, the body's gone, but you aren't. You continue. I promise you this. You continue. This is why this is all so important. You continue on. That's your spirit. That's you. It's the essential you. 
God joins the, his spirit to you. The barrier of sin is completely removed between you and God. He is now your father. There is no wrath. There is no judgment against you. Oh, he'll discipline you, you bet. But he loves you and he trains you as a, as a, as a parent trains a child. You pray, you have full access now. That's your spirit. But something else has happened. Look, it goes on. I will put my spirit where? Within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. I'm going to pluck out of you a heart of stone, the hard, rebellious heart. And I'm going to, through, through repentance of it, I'm going, to, I'm going to join you to me. Your heart, your spirit will love me. And I will put my spirit within you. Remember John 14, Jesus says to the disciples, the spirit of God is with you, but he will be. He's not inventing that. He's doing nothing but explaining Ezekiel 36. It says it right there. It's not a new idea. It's simply the truth. <laughs> Why didn't this promise come sooner? This is important. Because the Holy Spirit could not live inside people until Jesus had been crucified, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. Paul explains what Jesus did to make this possible in Romans chapter 8. He said, God sent his son in the, quote, likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin where? In the flesh. Say in the flesh. Romans 8, 3. In other words, when Jesus became a man, he took on sinful flesh, just like ours. This is why he was tempted in all ways as we are, but he never sinned. This is very important. Paul says what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. In other words, God, that, that's, we've just read that in the New Covenant. God says, I gave you my rules how to be holy. You swore to do it, and it didn't work, and it never has worked. And that's, that's the whole testimony of the human race. It's a whole, that's, that's Romans chapter 7. Paul says, you know, you can want to do it all you want, but you can't do it without something taking place. So he says that that didn't work. So he's, he tells us that Jesus, when he was crucified, did not just die for the sin that separates your spirit from God. He also died, listen to this, for the sin which is in, has polluted your bodies. How many in here, you don't need to raise your hand. How many in here you have used your body to sin with? This week. Already today. You, you, that, your body is, 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 is contaminated. It couldn't, it can, God's Holy Spirit will not indwell an impure place. It is not a suitable habitation. He can be with you, but he won't be in you. And Paul says, that's the pickle. That's the situation. That's what's not working. He said, so, because what the law could not do, we get as it was through the flesh. God did, how? Sending his own son in the likeness, and he doesn't say of flesh, becoming a human. He says, in the likeness of what? Say sinful flesh. Jesus took on our sinful flesh. He took on a body like ours with the same passions and fears and lusts and garbage that goes on in you was in his body too. And it was for a reason. He took on ours. And then he says, and as an offering for sin, he condemned, and he doesn't say just sin. He says, and he condemned sin in the flesh. Say in the flesh. You following this? When Jesus died on the cross, he not only died for your spirit, for the sin and the rebellion and the selfishness, and the independence that you've, you and I have all been infected with. He also died for the very pollution of our body so that our bodies are now clean and atoned. Do my, does my body still participate in sin? Yes. But it has been, it has been atoned for. So my body is before God, a clean, habitable place for the Holy Spirit. Until Jesus did this, it could not happen. 
you must lay hold of Christ and Christ alone. You cannot, it cannot just be faith. It's got to be Christ alone. And he has atoned us so that now the Spirit of God will come and dwell inside me, listen, and never leave. Even when I sin, I am still atoned. I'm cleansed by the blood of Christ. My body is a place he will habitate and stay. The Spirit is given to me and remains in me. He was not only removing the barrier of sin between our spirit and God, he was cleansing our bodies as well. So now the Holy Spirit can come and live inside our bodies because we are a clean tabernacle, suitable for his presence. Now he abides in us even when we sin, he never leaves. Jesus' death made it possible for God to live inside us for the new covenant to come. What changes take place? When a person is baptized in the Holy Spirit... Real, recognizable change takes place. If I were to try to capture that change in a few words, I might say there arises a heartfelt passion for God, a longing to understand his word, and a heightened spiritual awareness. I'm thinking of two young men, both of whom went to our men's retreat last fall. Our theme was the spiritual man, and we talked on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then Saturday night, uh, we, we ministered and just said, you know, if you're already baptized in the Holy Spirit, let's just press in and, and, and drink more deeply and receive the Holy Spirit. If you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then, then please come. And, and uh, the, this, the whole place went forward. And, and we, I think I walked, I staggered out of there about 1130 at night. Um, and it was, and they were still going. <laughs> um, and we, the, the Lord came in great power. One of these young men had been raised in a Pentecostal home uh, and believed these things. One of these men had been raised in a non-Pentecostal home or, or taught against it so that these things are suspect, that these should not happen today, that kind of thing. In all of this, we have all kinds of people ministering, and I'm just milling around, and most everybody's taller than me. And so I'm, I come up to this, um, this one of these young men, and um, he's there kind of praying and waiting. And, I, and I, what, I was, what I do, I do this with men, on, but I, I will put my hand at times on their stomach, uh, and I will, I'll, I'll just pray, you know, Lord, rivers of living water, rivers of living water. Why? Well, the Bible says, out of your innermost being, the word's koilia, it means your bowels, <laughs> out of here will flow rivers of living water. So I've just got my hands on him, and, and I'm, I'm just praying for him. And I'm saying or coaching anything. I've just got my hands on him, and I'm praying for him like this. And, and there's lots of power in the room. And rivers of living water. Come, Holy Spirit. Rivers of living water. And all of a sudden, I hear up above me somewhere, just pouring out in a new language. This other one is sitting in the second row, and these are theater seats there at the camp we go to, and, and he's, he's got his head in his hands like this. And I just laid hands on him. And I was praying for him. And I could sense the power again. But when I left, he didn't move. He didn't twitch. He didn't move a muscle. And an hour later, he's still exactly in the same. Then I'm thinking, you okay? You know? What came of this? Was this one baptized in the spirit or re refreshed? Who knows? I don't know. Was this one baptized in the Spirit? Pretty sure. When I mean baptism, I mean this encounter with the power and presence of God where you, you know he's in you. It's, uh, the first time, we call it the baptism. After that, we call it refilling. But that we're to have, this presence of God and this strong consciousness of, his, of him being upon me. What did it do? One of them has said not too long ago, he said, you know, I read the Bible for years because I ought to. And he says, now I am so hungry to read it. I said, it's just strange. You can see the motivation. You can see the eyes. Now we're, we're having all sorts of conversation about ministry and what's the course of my life. And nobody's guilting him. Nobody's giving him some routine. Now you ought to be doing. It's none of that at all. This is coming. The motivations in them 
The passion's in them. The interest in God is in them. You see this? This is part of it. It's for all of us. This is not some... This is not... You repent, you believe, and you receive. I have more to say in a minute. You can knew that. My spirit is awakened. Here are three things that I think happen. My spirit is awakened. I discover I have ears that can hear God speaking to me. I no longer function just on deductive reasoning. Many people's Christianity is, is, a, is an entire list of deductive reasoning. This is how we deduce that we should do this, and this is how we deduce we this. And we, we put these things together, and we deduce this. And there's nothing wrong with deductive reasoning. But I will tell you that when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, the radio goes on. And God begins to talk to you, like, and, and unsolicited, imagine that. Uh, and and you, begin to, you begin to sense this, a spiritual dimension that you weren't conscious, necessarily, that was there. You're saved, but you weren't conscious of this. And now you are. And I have eyes that can see and recognize God at work around me. I become more intuitive and spiritually alert. Let me, let me insert a little caveat here. All of us know that just being baptized in the Spirit doesn't make you wonderful. Some of the biggest jerks you'll ever meet speak in tongues, all right? Let's just put that on the table. So this isn't some instant sanctification. A person needs to stay in the Spirit. A person needs to take the spirit and put to death the deeds of the flesh. There's a whole process here. But that there's a reality and that it's a wonderful reality and that it's an enormous benefit to each of us is true. My will is empowered. I discover now I have the power to be free from the cycle of failure and tempta to temptation and sin. It helps to have someone teach me how to draw on this power, but there it's there, and when I do, I gain victory over old strongholds. Paul's biggest thing is to say, with this baptism, this what he calls the Spirit of Christ, the, the Spirit, this indwelling Spirit that Christ has brought to us, he says, when you have this, uh, this power in you, you now have the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwelling in you, so you can put to death the deeds of the flesh. You've got the power you needed and lacked all along to walk a holy life, to live clean, to live in obedience. I'm able to live a holy life and enjoy all the blessings that come from that. Do you realize we, we, holiness may be a word that sort of puts us off? But come on. What it means is you're not addicted, you're not sinning, you're not letting temper and fear and greed and junk control you. You are finally free to prosper in everything you do. You don't, you, don't, you don't ruin your marriage. You don't ruin your children. You don't ruin your career. You don't ruin your ministry. You're not, you're not your own worst enemy anymore. You are now living clean. You're living in the love of God and the purity of God is at work in you. This is what this means so that you can become the person God's intended you to be all along. I'm not making that up. That's not happy talk. That's what it means. But this, this putting to death the flesh. It's part of it. And the Spirit has come for that. And the gifts of the Spirit are released. These manifestations of God's power come more freely and often. For ministry to the church, witness to the world, and comfort to my family and friends. Healing, guidance, discernment, faith. Don't we need all of those? Here's some more questions I want to address just briefly. Does every Christian automatically have this gift? Yes. In that, God gives us everything when we repent and believe. When you say, when you repent, when you embrace Jesus Christ, when you become righteous, God gives you everything. Everything he has. It's all yours. Paul says the promises are yes and amen. All of them. Right then. But the actual receiving of it on our part is a real encounter with God's power which we will know when we have received it. This isn't just theology. These people aren't just theologically 
deducing that now was the time that the Spirit had arrived. The Holy Spirit had come in clear power, and they knew it, and they knew they were different. However that comes to you, and it comes very differently to everybody, but it's the same Spirit, and you will know he's encountered you, and you will be left different. Was this a once-for-all event? Meaning, and this is the theology so often taught, well, this was the coming of the Holy Spirit on the church. This is the church's birthday. And, and now he gives it once to this group, and, and that's just going to ride for the next 2,000 years, and that's it. Don't ex- he, the Spirit is now somehow with the church, as though it were some kind of entity or, or, or box. Absolutely not. Peter will say this promise is for every Christian throughout time, and I will quote him soon. Will I experience the same signs and wonders they did? Well, no. Jesus' baptism was different. There was a dove and and a voice from heaven. The Samaritans, they got it differently. Cornelius' household, he got it differently. The Ephesian disciples, they got it differently. There were certain similarities, of course, in all of it, but it Every person, it was different, but the same reality. Will I speak in tongues? Now, not everyone who has been baptized in the Holy Spirit does. But it is a very important step in moving into the new spiritual life. Everyone can. Let's just get that on the table. Though they may need some pastoral care in the process. It's not something God's withholding. It's a sweet gift. I'll say more another time. But please don't let that be a thing that frightens you. It's a great, precious gift to you. How do I receive it? Now turn with me to Acts 2, and and we'll finish there. Acts 2, verse 38 and 39. Peter has now given his evangelistic sermon. 3,000 people out of how many? What a remarkable day. 3,000 people uh, will say yes to him. This whole crowd is troubled. They've seen these signs and wonders. They've heard this explanation that they've just crucified their Messiah and that he's been raised from the dead and poured out this gift of the Spirit, which they see and hear. They're pierced to the heart. They say, what shall we do? And Peter in verse 38 says, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Trust by faith Jesus Christ and And he does want them water baptized. Baptized in the name of Jesus. Listen to Peter. Have I repented? Have I been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? Then yes, it's for me. And then watch what happens. Peter goes on. He says in verse 39. For the promise is for you and for who? Your children. And for all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Yes, it's for me and my children, meaning generation after generation, all who are far off, meaning Gentiles in distant lands, the entire world, and as many as the Lord our God will call to himself, every Christian, in every generation, in every place, until the end of the age. And then what do I do? I wait like they did. I prepare my heart. And when the Spirit of God is powerfully present, I actively receive him to dwell within me. The, the, the language Jesus uses, drinking is one of them. He says, is anyone thirsty? Speaking of the Spirit, is anyone thirsty? Let him come to me and what? Drink. When you drink, what do you do? You take something, you take a liquid where? Inside yourself. Another place, he, he blows on them. He goes, Pinoy. That word, breath. He blows on them and says what? Receive the Holy Spirit. When God, when God had molded a clay figure of Adam, it says he leaned down in, and, and, and blew into his nostrils. It specifically says a pinoy. A breath of air. And Adam became a living being. You breathe in. Where does it go? Where does the air go? Inside. It's all, it's all consistent. It's completely consistent. 
no one should push you into this. No one can make you do this. Can you get to heaven without it? Yes. The thing that I pray is that as we see this beautiful moment of the church and we hear this invitation of St. Peter, as we go through the book of Acts, we'll see this is consistent. This is what our forefathers and mothers were like. These were the people they were. They were full of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit were part of their lives. I just pray that you and I'll be hungry and thirsty. That those who are baptized in the Holy Spirit will want more. Will just say, God, I want to live that kind of life. I want to stay full of the Spirit. I'm, I'm getting this picture that there's a life I can live. There's a, there's, a, there's a power I can draw on daily. I want that. I want to be that kind of man. For those who have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, that whatever fear, whatever issues are there, whatever theology you've been taught, one of the reasons I'm pounding through this thing really carefully is so that you can see that this is biblically solid. The, 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 the theologies that teach against this are spurious. They're false. I've, I've argued face-to-face -face with the best, and, and they cannot, and if they have any integrity, deny the things we've said. They know this, is the, this was the regular norm of the early church. They have to come up with an invented theology that they put on the thing and said that this shouldn't happen anymore, though. There's nothing like that in the Bible. In fact, it specifically says it should go till he comes again. It says that. So this is just normal. And I hope that you don't feel either condemned and God won't give it to me, or I tried and I can't, and, or, or I don't need that, or I'm afraid of that. I just pray that in the whole process that our hearts will just grow hungry. You say, man, Lord, I want all you have for me. I want all you have for me. I want to be a man or woman of the Spirit. And I'm telling you, if you've repented and received Christ, everything is yours now. You don't have to talk him into anything. It's you receiving what he's already died and risen to give you. Amen. Would you stand with me? Holy Spirit, even for us to hunger for you, to thirst for you, is a work you do to us. It's you drawing us. It's you preparing the heart. It's you opening our understanding. And we pray today, Lord, as we hear your word, as we, what a beautiful moment you let us see of our, our forefathers and mothers gathered in there and hearing that sound from heaven and it coming over them like a, like a strong gust of wind and filling the house, hearing them praying in other languages and worshiping God and declaring his mighty deeds. Oh God, Peter's clear words to us, this is for you and your children and for all the Gentile nations, all the peoples of the earth. As many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. Oh God, whatever things of, of condemnation and shame, whatever things of false theology, whatever, whatever things of, of, of confusion or sense of failure and I can't seem to do this, all of those things, just wash it away. We want you to revive us. We want you to fill us afresh. We want you to baptize those who have not yet. We just pray, God, we will be a New Testament people that we will walk in, in their footsteps. We will be men and women in our generation, but with the same realities. Come and baptize us. Come, Holy Spirit. You are welcome in this place. Omnipotent Father of mercy and grace, thou art welcome in this place and in the place meaning in my very being, in my body. Lord, we declare today we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, not only our spirit, but our very body, that you might dwell in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. May the eyes of our heart be enlightened to see the riches of the glory of the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. Oh God, show us this. Make us hungry and thirsty for this. Draw us, draw us on, Lord, to walk in the fullness of what you've given. We pray that, we receive it, we open our hearts to it. In Jesus' powerful name, if you agree with me, would you say amen? amen.
Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.